Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Adam Carswell, who's a real estate entrepreneur who works with two private real estate investment firms. You'll want to listen to this episode to learn how he has leveraged his ability to build a strong network to succeed in real estate. So Adam, welcome to the show, man. Marcus, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I really enjoyed our pre-interview conversation, so I'm pretty confident we're going to have a good call here. I enjoyed that as well, kind of learning about your your backstory and how uh, we're both fellow Canadians. Well, you for the time being, at least, (laughs) how long you you stay out here on this side of the border. But I just want to give a little bit of an intro on Adam to, to my listeners before we get into the interview here. So Adam is a real estate entrepreneur, new media marketer, and podcaster. Adam committed his career to real estate in 2015. He serves as director of media and marketing for Concordia Realty and business development manager for ASIM Capital. Combined, both firms have syndicated, redeveloped, repositioned, and revitalized more than $430 million worth of real estate across the U.S. So, yeah, Adam, you've got a great resume. You're you're doing some big things and working with some very reputable firms. So before we get into it here, do you mind just sharing a little bit more about your your backstory, how you got into real estate, and what your current focus is? Absolutely. So, hey guys, what's up? My name's Adam Carr as well. Hi, Grandma. <laughs> um, I, I was born and raised in Painesville, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, there's six Carswells, including myself, six siblings, I should say. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for doing a great job raising all of us. Um, I'd say I'm the craziest one in a way. I'm, I'm the one who like got out and flew around the world. And I, you know, I live in Newfoundland, Canada now, which is so random to many people, including myself, but I'm happy that I'm here for sure. <laughs> Very happy. And I'll tell you why. But, um, you know, grew up in the Cleveland area. I went to college in the Western Pennsylvania area, Westminster College to be specific. I played basketball and I ran track there for four years um, while studying broadcasting, which is kind of where I got into podcasting. Originally, I would say my dad was also in podcasting when he was in college. So Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, I decided about halfway through my time in college that I actually wanted to be a college basketball coach as my profession. So um, I knew that in order to be a NCAA coach nowadays, having your master's degree is pretty much a prerequisite. So I knew I wanted to go to grad school. Through a couple Lucky occurrences, I found a way to go to Belize, Central America, get my master's there and continue to play basketball. Um, And long story short, while I was there, basically my first season, I was a player. Some really interesting things took place where all of a sudden I had an opportunity to become the head coach of Galen University when I was 23 years old. Um, So I became the head coach. I kind of fulfilled my dream at a very young age. And on top of that, we went on to win the national championship. And it was just like, wow, uh, what just happened? (laughs) Uh, And then I graduated and I realized I had a lot of friends in the States that, again, were in the NCAA basketball realm. And they were working so hard. Uh, They love basketball, quite frankly, more than I think I ever would have. You know, I, I always enjoyed it. And 
I'd say I like basketball a lot, but I didn't love it. And I saw how everyone in that industry, pretty much if you don't love it and you're not obsessed with it, you're not going to have a good time. So I was like, all right, you know what? I did it. I want to get into uh, the corporate side of things now or, or work my way up the ladder with a Fortune 500 company. And so I started doing that. I moved to Washington, D.C., got a job with Sherwin-Williams, managed paint stores for a couple years, had a blast. I mean, if you, I always tell people, if you would have like slipped my wrists while I was working at Sherwin-Williams, paint would have came out because I was so passionate for that company. Um, and yeah, just had a great time, learned a lot about being a professional. But ultimately, I started to realize even the people higher up in the company were still working between 60 to 80 hour weeks. And yeah, you know, they're making what most would consider good money and they had a good retirement plan, et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, man, they don't really have a lot of control over their time and personal freedom. And I'm just grateful that I noticed that at a young age, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad twice, like many of us in this industry have, and light bulbs just started coming on left and right. And I was like, all right, well, I can either get into technology or real estate because those tend to be the two industries where anyone, if anyone does make a lot of money and creates a lot of freedom for themselves, that's just like the general trend. Um, and I don't know, I, I, residential real estate was all that I could really wrap my mind around. So that's the direction I went. And I got licensed in Virginia, DC, and Maryland, uh, sold houses with Remax for a couple of years. And then during my time with Remax Distinctive in McLean, Virginia, shout out to Andrew Reamer, my, my old broker there. That dude is a, that dude is amazing. <laughs> um, the, the next light bulb came on and I heard Hunter Thompson on a podcast talking about commercial real estate investing and the next level, if you will, of freedom that you could create for yourself through this industry. And I followed up with Hunter after the interview that I heard him on, started talking. Next thing you know, he uh, put me through this program that he had recently created called the Cashflow Connections Mentorship Program, where I started learning for the first time about the ins and outs of this sector, as I keep referring to, commercial real estate. And then I started uh, networking like crazy and just letting everyone in this industry know, hey, this is me. This is what I can do. How can we work together? And that was a little over two years ago. And I really have to say that was like the epiphany or the catalyst moment that brought me to where I'm at now, which is, I would say, in a position where um, you know, I'm really, I really believe I'm living life on my own terms. Uh, it's certainly early. I believe I've got a long way to go still, uh, but it's, it's a good place to be. And so that's my, my background for you. And hopefully that was less than five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, you're not held to any uh, time limit on, on your story. I, I think that sharing a story in the background really just gives insight into how real estate is, is a journey. It's not like a typical path or it's not like, hey, you got to follow this particular step, like people come from all types of backgrounds and have that realization that they're looking for something different, some passive income, a way to build wealth. And it sounds like you had that realization when you were at in your corporate job. So was it the trigger? Um, I know you mentioned rich dad, poor dad, was that the trigger or was it just working a large amount of hours and just realizing, oh, I'm not going to be getting to where I want to be in the next number of years. What was that trigger for you? The trigger, I would say, was was both that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because that was also, you know, at that time, I was probably about 24 years old. I'm 29 now. That's when I started taking self-education seriously, because especially after grad school, you just don't, in my opinion, you don't feel like picking up any books. <laughs> You're just like, I'm done with school. But uh, so a combination of self-education, and then also while I was in, at Sherwin-Williams, uh, we had a lot of Hispanic customers where you know, Spanish was their first language, and I started to realize that... Uh, 
they didn't have an easy way. This is going to sound funny because it's, it's kind of out of the blue, but they didn't have an easy way to get T-shirts for their paint crews. So, like, if you've got Jose's painting company or whatever, uh, they don't – so a lot of those guys didn't know where to go to get, like, shirts made for their crew. And I had a contact back in Cleveland, Chaz Irish, who basically we opened a T-shirt company, and I started selling T-shirts to my clients at Sherwin-Williams outside of the paint. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really tell anyone at the company at the time because they might – might have been like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, but that was a huge light bulb moment for me because Chaz and I were making money and I realized, I started to feel every sale we would make, I was like, wait a second, we get to keep all this money. And I was like, wait a second, I just did $18,000 in sales today for the store. I'm not keeping it. I'm not getting $18,000 today. Wait a second, hold on. This isn't right. What's wrong here? Uh, and so that's kind of like when the entrepreneurial light bulb came on and the whole mentality of, you know, eating what you kill. So I, I would really give credit to me wanting to go into real estate to a combination of, of yeah, self-education and that first entrepreneurial venture, venture with Chaz. Yeah. And it sounds like you had that entrepreneur itch inside of you and it just came out at a certain point of time and you just experimented with it and you realized, oh, well, like I can do this. You know what I mean? And um, so that's really cool to hear how you made that transition. Something very important that you highlighted in your story there is how you kind of broke into commercial real estate. I know you talked about how you went initially into residential real estate and doing the Remax sales side of things, and then uh, made that leap into commercial real estate. And it was basically through reaching out to Hunter Thompson, who I, I'm familiar with. He has great content and you've built an excellent connection with him, but it comes down to you built that connection with him and he kind of gave you the, the hand and pulled you up into his area of expertise and uh, let you make the jump into commercial real estate. So can you talk about that initial step that transition and how that networking or reaching out to somebody in the industry has really helped you? Yeah, I'd say it is, it is what has helped me in this industry multiple times. And, and again, Hunter was kind of like the first example. Um, but for, after I completed the Cashflow Connections Mentorship Program, I made it clear to him, uh, part of the program, Spoiler alert for anyone who's interested in taking it. Normally, I'll have a phone call with you. And, and Marcus, we've had this call, so you already know. But after you complete the course, you have two 60-minute one-on-one phone calls with Hunter um, that are very valuable. And that's normally, I'd say, for myself and any other students that we've had come through the program where the huge quantum leaps take place. And so for me, I just continuously made it clear to Hunter on those phone calls, this is what I can do. And please, if there's any way that you and I can work together. I want to follow in your footsteps. <laughs> please, please, please let me work with you. And I just kind of, I guess that's the sales side of me. I kept letting him know like, hey, I'm here, I'm ready. And then he remembered that and a couple months later, or I can't remember exactly when, but he's like, hey, I'm going to Vegas for a conference. Would you like to join me and represent the company at our, at our booth? And of course, you know me, especially at that time when I was just begging for any attention I could get from Hunter, <laughs> I was like, yes, please sign me up. Let's go, let's do it. And so we went to Vegas and had a great show and it was, it was just basically, you know, a perfect fit from there. And the other cool thing about that trip was at that conference, not far away from us uh, in another booth was Michael flight, the managing principal of Concordia realty. And Michael was there with his son, Salvatore. And I found, I actually first connected with Sal, not Michael, because I was like, wow, this kid's 21. He's super smart. I had a podcast at the time where I like to highlight, basically young talent or t 
talent that's new to the industry that it's in. And with Sal, I was like, this kid's going to be really successful one day. I want to bring him on my podcast. So a couple months after Freedom Fest, I had Sal on the show. And Michael just basically always jokes about how, you know, I, I kind of schmoozed my way into Concordia by interviewing the boss's son before actually talking to the boss. But that was also, that the thing was, that was, you know, that was never my intention. I had no idea I was going to be working with Concordia one day. And basically what ended up happening was I was in a relationship at the time where we were getting ready to move from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco. And I was looking for a new job. And so I reached out to Michael and I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing at Hunter right now. You're looking for someone like me to add the same skills to Concordia. I checked with Hunter too to get the okay. And, you know, we're all, all three of us since they are very on the same page. We have, what I like the most is we have a lot of similar worldviews too, which I think is what helps teams work even better together. And so, yeah, Hunter's like, yeah, go ahead, go for it. And then, yeah, that was almost, that was a little over, two, wait, when was that? <laughs> Is that two years ago? I can't remember now, but it's, it's been a while and uh, it's just been nothing but fun. And I have to say to anyone out there, just reach out, reach out to, you know, if there's anyone out there that you want to be like, or they're in an industry where you don't really know what else to do besides go to them, do it. Because that's basically what I did. I know commercial real estate was like an industry where the sharks swim and the only way you get in is if you know somebody's uncle. Uh, and so that's, that's what we did. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really cool story. And, and like you said, you went right towards the sharks, right? Some of the very well-known guys in the industry you know, between Hunter Thompson and Michael Flight, they're very influential. I know I've actually had a, a call initially with Michael Flight oh, already. Nice. Um, and it was just through connecting through LinkedIn and he's like, Hey, you want to hop on a call? And we did. And I found that same thing is just kind of reaching out to people, uh, putting yourself out there. And yeah, if you kind of put yourself out there in a position where, hey, like I can add value or, you know, let's hop on a call, let's connect and being that person that's going out there and being willing to, I don't know, not necessarily take a risk, but yeah, open to conversations, open to connecting people, then then uh, you can start have doors open for you. But yeah, hopefully I'll get uh, those guys on the podcast one day. Oh, we'll get we'll we'll work on it for you. I know. Um, also, real quick, I just had a little flashback. I've been on. Are you familiar with Josh McCallan and Eric Cabral by chance? They do a show called Capital Hacking. Capital Hacking. I've I've heard of the show. I I haven't really listened to it. I don't think. Sorry, what was the names again? Uh, Josh McCallan and Eric Cabral, and they're a part of like they're part of the Cashflow Ninja community with MC Lauter. Okay. Yep, yep. And I only reason why I bring them up here real quick is because I was on their show a few months ago and we talked about, sorry for the background noise. If you um, we talked about the concept of raising human capital and which is basically networking. And that's just kind of like the idea that ran through my head as we're talking all, all about this is if anything, I've been raising a lot of human capital uh, before even getting into commercial real estate. Yeah, that's great. And and that's one of the things I kind of wanted to, to dig into because with your background and how you've connected with people and wrestled your way into this industry and kind of become a, you know, an influencer in a very short period of time, that's an inspiring story and, and something that others can learn from. Um, I found that you're a great connector and I've heard you talk about your ability to connect with people and connect them with your network and, and vice versa. And, and it just kind of snowballs. So can you talk about the value of being a great connector and how that's kind of helped you grow and scale up in working with these two real estate investment firms? Yeah, I'd say to be a great connector, it's actually, in my opinion, it, it really is more simple than you might think. And 
don't know, Hunter, Hunter's like joked with me about this, but I think he's kind of serious. He's, he actually probably is very serious about it too. He's like, you should, he's like, you should write a book or teach a course about, it's called how to make a friend in five seconds or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and I just, I think of this phrase that I heard over the summer, Michael took me to a conference with the real estate guys in Dallas, Texas, which is called how to win funds and influence people. And it's funny because you go to these conferences and you, you just get slammed with so much information. And then months later you look back and you go like, okay, what's like the main thing that I learned? And literally one of the top three things out of all the information that was poured onto our plates that weekend that I just have sticking with me was the phrase, what's on the walls? Meaning when you are interacting with someone, do a good job of, of you know, I guess being aware of what's important to them, even if something as simple as their shirt. For example, if you and I were just small chatting and you know, you notice a shirt or I, I even I'll just give you an example right now. Like Marcus, that shirt looks cool. I would, I would wear that shirt. Where'd you get it? <laughs> um, you wanted, I thought there was a hypothetical question, but it um, was, but I'm actually kind of curious. Like, where'd you get it? Pretty sure it's H and M. Okay, yeah. nice. And I like H and M. I've got some H and M stuff here too. So just, like, that's a prime example of making friends. And then there's that phrase also phrase friends buy from friends. Um, that's that's like a little teaser on how you do it. Like just what's on the walls. I've what what you got a trophy hanging up. Ask the person about what what's that trophy. What's is that you climbing a mountain over there? Tell me about that. The next thing you know, if people start to open up and actually talk to you about their personal side, then um, all of a sudden connecting and making friends comes much much easier. Totally, and and we already had a little chat before this call before we hit record but yeah you're just opening up about your personal side of things me sharing personal side of things as well and then you telling your story about uh, basketball and how you're involved with that I mean I could go back and forth with you for an hour on basketball because that's something I like and enjoy as well and I can see your interest and passion from your, your prior days being involved as a coach and a player so I didn't want to get off topic just because it's a real estate <laughs> show but I know that we could connect on that level just sharing about basketball. Um, so you have some great points there. I've actually heard you talk about um, in another interview, the the importance of asking the right questions and asking good questions. So I, I think you already alluded to it a little bit already, but like, can you share what exactly that means and how do you find the right questions to ask? Mm -hmm. I think this is, uh, this is a little life hack or a networking hack, whatever you want to call it, that I picked up from Hunter and I do my best to implement it in my own networks and then also teach it to people too and it's kind of like I think back to when I first got into commercial real estate for example when I was at that networking event with Hunter and I hardly I still could like hardly even speak any of the vocab and you know I was just out there feeling like I was on ice because I didn't know anything the biggest the best thing you can do in that situation is you might feel powerless but what you can always do is one listen and then two look for an interesting angle or an interesting take on the conversation that's being had that maybe no one else in the room is paying attention to. And so I'll do my best to give an example of that, but it could even be something as simple as uh, if, if I'm sitting in a, in a, maybe there's a panel of like four people speaking on a panel and speaker one goes, speaker two, speaker three, speaker four, everyone's listening, but you notice, okay, maybe you still have no idea what anyone on the panel is talking about, but you notice for some reason when speaker two was talking about uh, telephone lines, I don't know, I'm just literally making up an example, all of a sudden everyone in the room was like much more attentive than anything else that was said. 
And so even if you don't even know anything about the topic of discussion, what you can do later is you talk, it's like, yeah, I noticed how, you know, when speaker two was going, you know, grab everyone's attention, we started talking about telephone lines. And you say something like that, and one, it, it shows that you're engaged. Two, you took an interesting angle that maybe no one else was even paying attention to. And three, uh, yeah, I guess you know, it, can, it can really make you look smart even if you don't know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> and so that's a little networking hack for everyone out there. Yeah, I mean, plus, too, like if you're going into a room of, of people that all, you know, have heard the same speakers or educated in the same way and have the same perspective, I mean, just your point there about bringing something out from an, uh, not necessarily an outsider's perspective, but like a newer angle where people, you know, hear things and over and over and it just becomes like normal to them. Whereas you come in, somebody that might be newer to it and trying to get into that, that field, just kind of pointing something out that they might have glossed over because they just heard it so many times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a good, good hack. Um, haven't heard of that one, but that's, that's great. Great value. Interesting there. angles. Yeah, totally. We're getting the best from Adam Carswell today. So I know that you have also taken uh, leaps and bounds in your career by leveraging social media. I know that's how we connected through LinkedIn. So specifically, can you talk about how you've leveraged digital media and utilized it to really grow into real estate and explode your career? Yeah, I'd say, uh, and it was funny too, because when I worked for Sherwin-Williams, I kind of had like this one track mind. Believe it or not, I deleted all my social media. I was like off social media for a year and a half, two years. And then once I realized I was getting into real estate was when um, I was like, oh man, my face is going to be the face of whatever business I'm doing now. I got I to gotta get back on it. And I'd say, I'm a fan. I, I love Instagram. I love Facebook. Um, every now and then I'll use Snapchat. But like, if you're in, you really got to be on LinkedIn. Um, and that's really, I'd also say because of my personal experiences and successes that I've had through using LinkedIn. But I mean, I don't, it's just hard for me to imagine trying to do the same things on the other platforms that I've been able to accomplish on LinkedIn. And one of the main things really is just keeping a daily presence, getting on there, liking someone else's post, commenting on someone else's post, getting one post up per day. I know it sounds crazy, but like you can even, people want to buy uh, from personalities as we already talked about. And one recent risk that I kind of feel like I took that I do think is paying off in a good way is um, I changed my avatar from for the first time in a while from me in a suit to a very casual look. And you know, the, the, what was it, the Mario suit? Or? I had the Mario suit, yeah, which was yeah. already kind of pushing it uh, as far as like being what's, you know, blending in, uh, especially in commercial real estate. Yeah. But, now you got um, the basketball though. And now I've got the basketball. Now I'm wearing a hoodie. I hope I kind of feel like I'm, I'm veering away from the main question, but the point I'm trying to make is um, people, I'm starting to learn more and more that people really want to buy from the personality. They want to buy from someone who's being flat out honest, flat out transparent, which again, I just can't help but continue to give credit to guys like Hunter and Michael for this, because um, if you're ever, if people can just smell it when you're not being real. And one cool thing from a book that I always talk about, it's called Zero to One, written by Peter Thiel. He talks about the concept of the master salesman and how once upon a time, the master salesman was a guy that walked around in a suit and sh you know, shook your hand firmly, et cetera. But it's really starting to change now. I mean, you look at guys like, again, Steve Jobs or a lot of, more so in the tech industry, but I also believe if it's in the tech industry now, it's going to ripple effect into other industries. But the master salesman nowadays are honestly, they're dressing like this. 
they're wearing their hoodies, they're getting up there in their t-shirts and they're talking like a real human to those who they're interacting with. And uh, don't get me wrong every now and then I still love to wear a suit. There's going to be times where I still have to wear a suit, but for everyone out there, don't be afraid to be yourself because that's the key to attracting business and attention into your life. Um, and Spencer Hillegoss, I hope I said his name right. Are you familiar with Spencer? I don't know him personally, but um, he's one of the guys in this community that I think we're connected on LinkedIn. I see his posts all the time and I try to like and engage with them as well. But uh, yeah, go ahead. He's got a great story that just validates a lot of this this concept of being yourself. He, I can't remember what podcast he was on, but he was telling Hunter and I about a show that he was on. And after he was done, got, you know, it, I think it was like Rod Cleef's show too. So he's expecting to get contacted by all these people not one call, email, anything. He goes on another show and tells some story basically about how he's in a, in a metal band, like a death metal, rock, like heart, heavy metal band. And because he told that story about his like personal side, all of a sudden the phone started ringing. And it's also funny because uh, Spencer, in my opinion, comes across as, he's kind of, he's, he'll probably laugh at this too if he hears this, like he's, he's kind of like, kind of geeky or like nerdy, you know, so you never expect this dude to have like tattoos, he's got tattoos and like he's in a metal band, it's like what? And that's what's cool and that's what opens the door for people to actually want to learn more about him and work with him. So again, it's a little more golden nuggets for you guys out there, it's just, you can't, you got to be yourself, you got to be yourself. Yeah, no, and that's a good, good point. I mean, a little bit of a, a note on, on that point, kind of being authentic and the clothes that you wear it doesn't necessarily have to be this flashy suit or or anything like that because i mean if that's not who you are authentically people are gonna sniff that out there is a, a time and a place for dressing accordingly for example i just i just hosted um Liberland, which is a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down but there's a country basically that i i host a podcast for and i hosted our fifth anniversary seminar online and that is a situation where, okay, if I'm emceeing this event, like, yeah, I'm going to put a suit on. Like, that's just, it just makes sense. If I don't put a suit on, then all of a sudden it kind of comes across more as like selfish or not caring. So you do have to have a little bit of like awareness. It's, that's probably the toughest part about it, but just be yourself, be yourself. Yeah, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah totally. I kind of want to now go on another angle and, and talk a little bit about retail real estate, because that's one of the focuses at Concordia Real, Realty. I don't believe ASIM Capital does much in the retail space. And, you know, our listeners are more familiar with the multifamily space. So I think you could provide some unique insight into retail. So what is your business model and strategy within the retail asset class at Concordia Realty? I'm going to go ahead and, and also use reuse my own example here about taking interesting angles because yeah, I've been in retail for, I'll just say, because I can't remember specifically, but probably close to like two years now. And with that does come a significant amount of experience, but with that also comes plenty of information, knowledge, and data that, for example, Michael would be able to hammer this question home analytically for you in a way that I would never be able to. Uh, so I'll give you my Adam Carswell take on retail. And one thing that um, I'd say, especially before, this is one thing that I really hung my hat on before coronavirus. Um, and I definitely have some feedback on, on how the industry is going right now. But imagine if coronavirus didn't happen. Um, say 2018, Amazon, and I'm sure you, you probably remember this, Amazon acquired Whole Foods for like almost like close to $15 billion or something like that. And when the company like Amazon 
makes a move to acquire brick and mortar establishments like that, I mean, you have to first of all think, okay, it's Amazon, probably it's what one of the three biggest companies in the world or something like that. The amount of access to information, data, due diligence that they can do before making a move like that is just like, they can move with such confidence in, in making a move like that. So if Amazon's doing that, that clearly makes it, in my opinion, uh, the writing on the wall that retail is not going away, it's evolving. And over time, it has always evolved. And those who learn how to evolve with the industry are the ones that are successful. And those that get stuck doing it the way it's always been done, really like with any industry, are the ones that get left left behind. And so there's, you know, there's been like the whole retail apocalypse and, you know, the fear within the industry. But in reality, all it is, is retail is getting ready to go through a significant um, evolution, which is it's becoming much more omni-channel. And companies around the world that are having the most success in the retail industry are the ones that aren't just online. They're the ones that aren't just face-to-face. They're the ones that are, are online, face-to-face, and now have excellent delivery services. Uh, and that's what's actually really growing in the retail sector right now is how, how effectively can you get the customer to your product at a time when they don't want to leave the house. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at with retail right now. I'd say somewhere to multifamily, everyone is hurting right now, making their rent payments. That would just be a lie to say everything's fine. Uh, but you know, everything goes through cycles and I know thankfully through being associated with Concordia, we've been, been in business for over 30 years. Michael's been through like four, three or four real estate cycles or crashes. And so just kind of reading his energy and following his lead on what's going right now is what gives me the confidence to say this is still a fantastic sector to start getting more knowledge about. And I will say if anyone listening right now wants more information about making effective retail real estate investments, please do follow up with me uh, because if I can't get you the answers you're looking for, I know plenty of people that can. Right. So what are some of the things that you might need to be careful of when doing due diligence on a retail property? I would imagine there are going to be some similarities, but also some, you know, major differences between looking at a multifamily property. So can you touch on some of the due diligence aspects that might come up in a retail property specifically? Yeah, I'd say similar in similar regard to multifamily, it seems like the best markets, for example, to invest in are those secondary and, and more tertiary markets. For example, like, you know, I'm sure retail centers close to like Huntsville, Alabama, or, you know, for the most part, anywhere in Texas, like Sunbelt States, those, we do look primarily in the Sunbelt States for our opportunities. Um, we also like a lot of multifamily investors out there like to look for B and C class properties where immense value can be added to make the center better. Really what makes it different from multifamily, I would say is, you know, we're looking for grocery anchored centers most of the time. Um, it's rare that we ever look at a deal that does not have a grocery center in it or a grocery store in it because, you know, that's a, as you can even see right now, that's an establishment that requires the customer to come in and get what they need. I guess there are some grocery delivery services out there, but it's really not a factor, at least at this point in, in the world. Um, so grocery anchored shopping centers, B and C class properties in the Sunbelt. Uh, we like, junior anchor tenants that are normally like a discount store. So like a TJ Maxx or Ross's or Gabriel brothers, or sometimes even like a Salvation Army, some kind of discount store because those tend to bring a lot of foot traffic. Can you define anchor tenant, what that means for 
the listeners that haven't heard that before? Your anchor tenant is going to be normally the, uh, you know, the largest store in your, in your uh, shopping center by square footage. It's uh, normally going to be the center that does again, pull the most foot traffic like a grocery store. Uh, It's normally going to be the one that pays the highest rent. Although I guess not always, um, it's going to be the one that if you have signage, like that's going to be the big store on the sign. Uh, the anchor, t- the anchor tenant is, is the anchor. If you don't have them, then all of a sudden then you got some major problems there in your shopping center, keeping it afloat. So that's an anchor tenant. And then junior anchors, sometimes I think you'll normally have one, two, from what I've seen, never, never more than three. Normally it's just one junior, junior anchor which again would be like a discount store. Uh, dollar store would count as a discount store too. And actually Dollar Tree, I just read an article like last week, Dollar Tree is crushing it in sales right now. And there's just something special about a dollar store that makes sure that it's really tough for those to go out of business. Family Dollar is struggling, but they are owned by Dollar Tree, I believe. Uh, good do your research on that one. I might've misquoted that, but I'm pretty sure Dollar Tree owns Family Dollar. So even though they're struggling, like you know, they're still right there. Um, and those are great stores to have in the shopping centers. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any, any other due diligence or any other things that we like to look at uh, in regards to, to doing our deals. Um, but that's, that's a little taster for you. Okay, perfect. If you were to kind of, I know it might be challenging to do, but kind of list like top three industries that would be, Hey, these are the types of tenants from these industries that would be ideal to have in a retail center. Could you kind of highlight some of the the main industries that are really attractive that you look for when assessing a retail property? Yeah, um, and I would say, I guess to clarify, like would would it like a, would a grocery store count as uh, qualifying for what you're asking? Yeah, totally. I mean, like food food services, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like food services, that's definitely if you. You know, categorize that as an industry totally yeah i mean perfect one thing that that is actually compelling right now and we are starting to see more of this i don't know again given the current circumstances they're obviously probably not even open right now but it's it's the concept of entertainment so like dave and buster style places are starting to pop up a lot more i know even in my hometown pains well not far from painsville there's a place um and this is actually a franchise it's called round one i've seen a few of them now where you know it's a bowling alley and arcade and food and cheap beer and you know it's it's kind of like you go there for the night and that concept is starting to get pretty popular right now. Entertainment. Um, so we I, I would say we do like that. I don't think we have any centers right now with entertainment, but we've certainly looked at them. Automotive is a great uh, subcategory of the asset class because. You're gonna, I mean, I know everyone's kind of gravitating towards electric cars and, you know, no one's going to have a car. That's in, in a way that's kind of just like a, an idea that's out there. I really don't see that as a threat anytime soon, especially since gas is so cheap right now. Like anyone's <laughs> who's going to want an electric car right now, except for someone who just really kind of wants to be flashy. That, that tends to be the, the, the general uh, direction of electric cars. So automotive, food, like grocery stores, for example. Uh, you really, you're always going to have foot traffic at restaurants. Um, beauty, uh, beauty salons are really big. It's always good. It's always nice to have, um, yeah, like a beauty salon in your shopping center if you could. And also gyms, gyms, like specific gyms too, like yoga studios and orange theory and concepts like that are getting pretty popular right now and only continuing to grow in popularity. 
Awesome. Now that was a perfect highlight of all the different industries and, and categories of what you look for as, as solid tenants. I know there's some different definitions and, and terms that are used within the retail asset class, such as triple net lease. I mean, what does that mean? And, and can you give a quick description for, for the listeners that have maybe heard it or haven't heard it? And like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Well, the whole concept of triple net lease is, is uh, I'd say, pretty compelling because as the landlord of a property, you know, you're only, uh, your tenant is basically responsible for covering all of their like common area maintenance is, is another term that I'm sorry now if you don't know what that means, but like uh, like par- taking care of the parking lot, taking care of the landscaping in the parking lot, etc. Uh, when you're in a triple net lease as the owner, you don't have to worry about covering that expense that's on the tenant, along with a handful of other expenses that normally if you're like the owner of a house or even a multifamily unit, sometimes you get stuck paying for that expense. And so tri- the cool thing about a triple net lease is you actually, uh, you have a lot less responsibilities as an owner. and Michael is, uh, we just had a conversation. I don't know if this might, Michael, if you listen to this, it might be a little bit of spoiler, but I hope it, it lights, lights an even bigger fire <laughs> for us moving forward. He's getting ready to write a book on net leases. And um, there's really not a lot of, there's great, there are some sources out there, but again, someone like Michael, he gets this book out there. Uh, you guys are going to learn a lot. So if you want to learn more about triple net leases, I'm going to kind of politely divert you to Michael who can really lay it on you why uh, we like that concept a lot at Concordia Realty. That's awesome. <laughs> I like what you say there of lighting the fire. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, and that's kind of another point there is like, you know, if you have a goal or something you want to achieve or something that you're planning on doing, whether it's going to the gym or like getting in shape or doing whatever, like put it out there and tell a friend or have somebody hold you accountable. So we're going to start wrapping up here. We've got a, a couple minutes left. So Quick highlight here. What's your top advice for someone looking to get started in real estate investing? I would say, call me biased, guys. <laughs> Come talk to me because I want to. I want to show you what the Cashflow Connections Mentorship Program is like and what it can do for you. If you're looking for the hands-on, like get in the trenches, get dirty, and learn how to crush it in commercial real estate investing and change your life and take you from you know what would take you five years, get you there in two years. It's, it's going to be through that program. There's really nothing else out there like it. And uh, the connection that you'll build with me, Hunter, and everyone else in the group is very special. Awesome. So now we're going to go to the final four questions where you give short to the point answers. So starting off here, what is your favorite real estate or business book? My favorite real estate or business. Um, sorry, I know this is fire around. I wasn't thinking about this. I really, well, I, I'm going to go uh, zero to one. I've read that book a couple of times recently and I already referenced it on this call. So zero to one by Peter Thiel. Uh, that would be business real estate. Um, we'll go with raising capital for real estate written by Hunter Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great book. Hunter did a phenomenal job and gave away a lot of secrets, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and zero to one. I read that one years ago. I should maybe brush up on it again because I remember it being great. So what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? I guess I wish I would have um, gotten my podcast going on all cylinders a lot sooner. I did get to a point where I eventually cranked it up and that helped my networking and credibility a lot. But looking back on it, if I could have just had that same fire, maybe six months earlier, then I'd be probably even a little bit further down the road than I am right now. Perfect. What's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? 
the way I, the way I do my planning and scheduling, I've got my system down finally after I'd say years of trying to figure out what works best for me. It's very unconventional, but it just works well for me. And it all comes down to pen and paper and then a little bit of assistance from the iPhone calendar app. Oh, and schedule once. It's a great app to have everyone out there. If you don't have schedule once or Calendly, seriously look into it. Yeah, I just started using Calendly. It's great. So what do you do for fun when you're not working or growing your real estate network? Yeah, I think anyone who's who knows me pretty well would know that I like to DJ. I play music here in St. John's live right now, live on Instagram <laughs> and Facebook. But uh, no, on the weekends, I'll normally DJ at least twice a month here in, in downtown St. John's. Uh, that's another thing that kind of kept me locked in here. And uh, I spend a lot of time with my girlfriend and her puppy, Luca, which is basically my puppy too. <laughs> um, yeah, and talk to my friends back in Ohio. I guess what I do for fun right now is very different than what I'll normally do for fun because we're in Corona. So that's, that's about it right there. It's uh, Corona fun. I guess you got an asterisk beside it, right? Yeah. So those are all the questions. Lastly, I just want to let you to share how our listeners can get in touch with you. Guys, best way to get in touch with me is go to my website, which is carswell.io. And from there, you can contact me on any social media platform. It's all on the contact page. And then if you type a message into the contact box there, that goes directly to my email and we can start emailing from there too. So just go to carswell.io and you can't go wrong. Perfect. Well, Adam, it was uh, great to have you on the show today. You added a ton of value. Really excited for you coming on and sharing all your your tips on how to grow your network and really get into commercial real estate and, and even your tips on retail. It's a new asset class for, for our listeners here. So once again, thank you for coming on. It was, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for having me. Guys, I, I hope to hear from you soon. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.